0: Okay, if you would turn to Psalms chapter eleven, Psalms chapter eleven, and uh, before we read, let's talk to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege ours to be assembled together tonight. Thank you for another day and safety and protection. Thank you for how you provide for every need. And thank you, Father, for uh, your goodness to us. And we pray that we look into your word tonight. Pray that we be encouraged and strengthened uh, and challenged. Uh, help us to increase our faith in thee. Even as the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. May we desire to have our faith increased and um, uh, just allow you to uh, test us and examine us. So just work and glorify yourself. And again, thank you again for your blessings. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 11 says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain. Below the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold his eyelids, try the children of men. Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone and horrible tempests. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. God is tonight trusting in the Lord in trying circumstances. Now commentators say, and and it makes sense if you read this, that this was a psalm where David's friends were counseling him what to do during the time that he was being hunted by Saul, Uh, they said, flee as a bird to your mountain. David said, in the Lord put I my trust. So, again, the circumstances would be David, David is being hunted like a bird or like a wild animal as if he had done something wrong and he hadn't. And so the council was, the proposed plan for David, I, got, I only have two points tonight, but I do have some sub points, so. But uh, the proposed plan for David was flee, flee to the mountain. Now, you know, David did um, flee, but I think the idea here is, is fleeing to your mountain is get away from it as far as you can. In other words, get out, at, you know, and, And at one point, David did. He left the country. Remember, he went to Gath. And I think that's what they're saying to David. Flee to a place where you cannot be found. You know, because as long as he was in Israel, he could be found. And they they give reasons why David should do this. Two of them, basically. First of all, the wicked are prepared, are ready to destroy you. Notice verse two. He says, "For lo, the wicked, and this is the ones that are saying flee. For lo, the wicked bend their bow; they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart." So, in subtly, it, you know, they are prepared to destroy you. Uh, the word, the word. Uh, Privately has the idea of deceit or in darkness. You know, it could be under the cover of even being a friend, and there's a reason they'll say that. We'll get to that in a minute. But, but so, so they they are the, the enemy is pre- completely prepared to destroy you. Remember, remember, uh, uh, and, and this is often the case when uh, Paul was, of course, arrested at Jerusalem. And they had a hearing in Jerusalem, and and Paul uh, stood up and said, you know, for for the uh, um, belief of the uh, you know the, of the uh, and i can trying to remember how he st- he stated it, but but basically you know for the belief of my fathers, I am am I in being tried today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Well, you had Pharisees who believed in the resurrection of the dead. You had Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And when Paul said that, it caused the two factions to start fighting amongst themselves. That kind of showed what this was all really all about. It was just something about the beliefs of the Pharisees, and they wanted rid of this guy or the Sanhedrin, not all Pharisees, because you had two different groups there. And so I think that kind of made it evident to to the Romans, you know, this isn't what we thought. This is something about their religious beliefs. But then, as a result of that, there were 40 men that took an oath saying, we will not eat until we have killed them. So, you know, they they had their bows ready, so to speak. In other words, they had their weapons ready. All they needed was Was for the centurion to allow them to meet again, like they just had with Paul. And they were going to kill him. Of course, Paul's nephew found out about it and told the centurion, so it foiled their plans. I wonder if they never did eat. But anyway, because Paul wasn't killed, so, you know, but anyhow, um, you know, so the wicked are prepared. So you need to flee, you need to run away. David, you need to run away. After all, and this is the second reason, the very foundation is destroyed. Notice verse three says, "If the and this is they're continuing here. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the rights true do? The very foundation. What they're saying is, the very foundation of Saul's kingdom is corrupt. In other words, it's corrupt completely through. So the, the, the really the idea here is the, that." the nation, Saul's kingdom, is so completely corrupted that everybody's going to try and kill you. The word foundation here could mean columns, or it's a metaphor for princes and nobles. Uh, So it refers to when the noblest, the defenders of what is right and good, have perished. In other words, there's nobody left. They're they're saying, there's nobody left that's going to stick up for you. Well, was that true? Well, I can name at least one guy who was had great influence in Saul's kingdom that was still standing for David. And that was Jonathan. That was Jonathan. You know the columns uh, first columns, you know, refers to holding up of the building. Of course the word foundations is also translated purposes. In Isaiah nineteen ten it says, And they shall be broken in the purposes thereof. Um so the, so the aim the idea here is the aim or goal of the kingdom is lost. What hope is there? Everyone is corrupt. Saul is corrupt. You know, Saul was corrupt. His way was perverse. But all was not lost. Did all blindly follow Saul? You remember when Saul uh when they had a battle with the Philistines and they it went into the night and, and uh Saul made an oath that nobody is to eat or drink until he had been avenged of the enemy, and, and because of that, the men were faint, and Jonathan wasn't wet there. He didn't hear the oath, and so they're going through the wood, and there's honey spilling out on the ground, and Jonathan sticks his staff in the honey and eats it. And then you know, Saul um, asks counsel to the Lord, and the Lord doesn't answer, and he said, who's guilty? And they say, well, you know, the, the verdict was Jonathan, and Saul's going to kill him. or wants to kill him. And the men say, no. See, not all were blindly followed. See, the the counselor there, David, you may as well well run away, get out of Israel, just leave, just, just get away from it all because there's no hope. It's all hopeless. Everyone has been corrupted. You're kind of like Elijah. Lord, I'm the only one left. Yeah, the world's still using this same tactic today. The Sodomite crowd tries to convince us that there there's a lot of them. There might be, might be, four percent of the population. Four percent. That includes your transgenders and all that mess. At the most, four percent. You know, the socialists say that you know that the, their message is the majority is on our side, so we just need to surren- give up and surrender. You know, but when the votes come in, we read we hear we hear a different story. Um, yeah, they say religion in America is is degrading. Well, Mike Pence gave a speech at Hillsdale College commencement address for 2018, and in that speech he said this. Well, and faith itself is on the rise in America as well, despite the fact that we live in a time when traditional values and religious convictions are increasingly marginalized by secular popular culture. A time when it has become acceptable, even fashionable to malign religious belief, I believe with all my heart that Americans' faith in God is growing. Uh, And there is some evidence to that. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 29.2 that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But you know, really, these men here are looking at things under the sun. Go to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And it's easy if if you if you follow uh, the news. <laughs> You're going to soon, if you believe it, if you believe it, that is, you're going to soon come to the conclusion that everything is corrupt. That's all, all hopeless. Um, but, in, but in Psalm 73, it says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither they are plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them as a chain. Violence cometh, covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt, speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? Is their knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper. Notice, they prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed mine heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I shall offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Surely thou set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction so if you look at things under the sun you know Asaph was looking at things under the sun for a while and then he said when I went the, however when I went into the sanctuary and saw things from God's perspective it puts a whole nother different light on that and that's what we have secondly here in Psalm 11 you know we have a proposed plan for David flee but we see also but David's profound hope in the, Lord. the word profound means penetrating or entering deeply into subjects of thought or knowledge. Having deep insight or understanding. You see, David had some insight and understanding that those who were giving him counsel did not. Those who were telling him, you just need to run away. You just need to leave. David understood some things they didn't understand. You see, David chose... Notice several things here. David chose to trust the Lord. Notice in verse 1 again, he says, In the Lord put I my trust. Now, that is a deliberate choice. It's a deliberate choice. So like Joshua, when he said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was a choice that he made. And he was saying to the children of Israel, you got to choose. You have to choose. Elijah said to those on Mount Carmel, If Baal be God, follow him. But if God be God, follow him. But you need to decide. You need to decide. And answer him not a word. But you know, indecision is, is a decision. And I fear that the God of indecision is the devil. You know, people will say, well, I'll just wait till I die to find out. Remember a guy telling me that years ago. Well, whenever it happens, I'll. How are you going to decide when you're dead? Excuse me, I missed something there. No, indecision is a decision. No, David made a specific choice in the Lord put I my trust. I'm going to trust the Lord. Now, that choice had something to base itself on. He had a basis for that choice. It wasn't a reckless decision. No. I want you to notice the basis of his trust. Notice verse 4. And here's his answer to those that say, Flee. He says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So first thing we see here, God is still alive. God's still in heaven. God's still on his throne. God still rules in the affairs of men. And God can set up kings and bring kings down. He's still on his throne. He's still there. He hasn't changed. He hasn't moved. I mean, we're talking about the same God who who divided the Red Sea, brought plagues in Egypt, divided the Red Sea, fed them with men. You know, he's still there. Now, some may say, well, then why are you being hunted? He gives some more reasons here. But first of all, God is still alive. God's still in heaven. And God's still on the throne. He has not been removed from his throne by some outside force. He still rules in the affairs of men. Secondly, he says, God sees my need. Notice verse 4. Again, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyes behold. Also in verse uh, 7, he says, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. In God sees my need. His eyes behold. And we talked about some of this last week, too, that you know, you know, the he that created the eyes shall we not see? God knows everything about us. He sees everything that's going on in in our life. He saw everything that was happening to David. He knew that David was being hunted like an animal unjustly. He knew all that. But you know, people, people have a problem here because they say, if God can see that, then why is he allowing it? And David addresses that too. He says... God not only sees, he does behold, but his eyelids try, the children of men. Now, you can look at this two ways. David was being tested, but really, was anybody else being tested to reveal who they really were? Who else in this case may be being tested? Who else was being exposed for who he really was? The King Saul. King Saul was also being tested. Yeah, the test. Someone said the test of man's character is what he will do with power. And Saul revealed that he had a lack in character because when his power was threatened he retaliated just like the kings of the world you know we we in our country you know we can we can change leaders without firing a shot but in most places of the world if 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 uh, if 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 there's a leadership change often somebody dies and, and in in the, in the uh in the in the east in this Uh, time period that was often the case in fact many of the kings of Israel did that very thing Jehoshaphat's son killed all his brothers except I think it was the youngest got away Gideon's Gideon's um, illegitimate son killed all the sons of Gideon except for Jephthah who ran away who fled So this was often the case but it wasn't supposed to be this way in Israel because God made the choice of who was to be king not man and the king wasn't supposed to be ruling God was. So when your place is taken by somebody else that God has brought up. To take it, you need to let it go. When your position is threatened. You see, so we see here that there's two people being tried. David, David, I believe David was being tried, but so was Saul. Saul was on trial. Again in verse he, he says this twice. Verse 4 he says his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth notice here he says the Lord trieth the righteous. So he tries all men. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar was tried by the Lord. He you know, think about the opportunities that Nebuchadnezzar had. He had, he had, you know, of course, he was he was set up, I believe, to conquer the nation of Israel, to bring God's judgment upon them. And yet, in doing so, he brought back from the land of Israel men of God—Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, and um, Mishia. right. Anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego—that was a Babylonian name. But uh, uh, and and they were witness to him of the goodness and grace of God. And yet, the Lord tried him. Of course, he had to depose him from his kingdom for seven years until he he realized that God rules in the affairs of men. See, God does try us. God allows difficult circumstances to come into our life to see whether we're going to trust him or not. Again, you know, like I mentioned last week, the, the wilderness, the manna, daily, no water, giants. And, you know, those things look like mountains that come into our life that stand in defiance of one's destination. You think about the, the. Um, I was going to say pilgrims, it not pilgrims. Uh, Those that went west. I'm trying to think of the word. Huh? Pioneers that went west. Oh, it's nice and flat and it's easy going. All of a sudden they see this thing in the distance. And it gets higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. If you ever drove across the west and then all of a sudden you see this looks like a cloud way out there. And soon the cloud gets higher and higher and higher and higher. Yeah, it's the Rocky Mountains. And you can see it for hours before you get there. But You know, they, they ran into mountains. Those can, they stand in defiance. And, you know, there are, sometimes the Bible uses, I believe, the word mountain metaphorically to, to circumstances that come into our life that stand in the way that are trials to us, to keep us. Or to test us. Whether God are trust God or not. This was. You know David had already been anointed king. And this is an obstacle. Saul was an obstacle. That God allowed in his way. To see where he's going to be. Faithful. Because you know the kingdom was going to require. Some real character. In David's life. And the. Testing that he faced. Running from Saul prepared him for that. But go to Zechariah 4 6 and 7. Zechariah 4 6 and 7. Zechariah 4, 6 and 7 says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, nor by, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Now, Zechariah and Haggai, they were they were contemporaries. And, you know, they they had, there were some real difficulties in the land of Israel, and they were supposed to build the temple in trying times. Nehemiah built the wall. But Nehemiah ran into mountain after mountain after mountain, not literal mountains, but figuratively obstacles all along the way that had to be overcome. You know, the enemy tried to stop it. You know, and they found out they couldn't stop it, so they invited Nehemiah to go into the temple itself to meet with them. What would he have done if he had gone into the temple? He'd have defiled himself. He'd have discredited himself. That was subtly to get him to discredit him before the people. He was wise enough to say, no, you're just trying to trap me. Because they said he was, his life was in danger. And, and Zachariah Zechariah is saying here, you know, there's, yes, there's obstacles, and even they got the, the king involved at some point, but he says you need, you know, you, it's not by might, it's not by your physical strength, it's not by the power of armies, it's by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, you need to trust God and just do what he said, and God will see that there's a way made. God will see to it, because God has commanded it. God has commanded it. God commanded them to build the temple. (coughs) Excuse me. And when God commands something to be done, he makes a way, although it may seem like it's impossible at times. Go to Hebrews eleven. Hebrews eleven. And what you have in Hebrews 11, I'm not going to read all this for sake of time, but what you really have in Hebrews 11 is impossibilities that are overcome by trusting in the Lord. Verse 7, by faith. Well, let's 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 read verse five. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. <coughs> <coughs> verse six is a very important statement. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, God will reward the man that is faithful to carry out God's command. He will reward him with fulfilling his promise. God will keep his promise if we'll be faithful to carry out his command. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. You know, it never rained. It never rained on earth. For several thousand years, it hasn't rained, and all of a sudden, this crazy guy up there is—and there's no body of water close by. He's building an ark. He says it's going to rain. Couldn't you imagine CNN doing an interview? But you know, only eight people believed him. The whole world. But see, he was trusting in what God said. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he soon journeyed in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs of him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You know, really, God really didn't... He, Give Abraham possession of all the land while he was living. Basically, what I told him is, "Yeah, I'm going to give you this to your seed." You know, he was just a family. There was 300, and, 318 people in Abraham's household, including all his trained servants that went and fought against the kings there in Genesis chapter 14, 15. So, you know, he might have had a household with servants and all that. You know, <coughs> with women and children. You know, there maybe was five hundred. I don't know. So he was just a he was just um, he was just a community, if you will, in the whole nation. So God didn't give him possession. He actually didn't get possession of the land. It was simply promised to him and his seed. But he never really saw the fruition of it. But he believed it. He believed it. Um, verse eleven through faith, Sarah, also Sarah herself received strength, conceived seed, was delivered a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, sprang there even of one him as good as dead. Speaking about uh, the this, the the uh, uh, Genesis twenty two and Abraham uh, offering Isaac. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sandwiches by the she shore innumerable. These all died in faith. Let's drop down to uh <clears throat> verse uh, uh twenty. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he's dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, for worship leaning upon the top of the staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel, and gave commandment concerning his bones. And if you read in, in the book of uh uh Exodus, I think no. But uh, the last verses of Genesis it says that, that Joseph gave command concerning his bone, and they made him a coffin. Now, you know what the word coffin" means? Hope, chest. The word coffin there means hope, chest. So they put him in a coffin believing that God was going to fulfill his promise, but not only was he fulfilling his promise of the land, and they would take him with them, which they did. They took his bones with them when they left Egypt. But speaking of the resurrection, hope chests. Now, we get hope chests. Ladies girls sometimes get hope chests for different reasons nowadays. But, <coughs> but this coffin referred to the resurrection. And of, and of Joseph's departing, he believed what God said. He believed that God was going to fulfill his promise to his children. Again, yeah, tr- there's trust. You know, and, and, of course, we could read through this whole chapter here, and th- and, and every one of them uh, dropped down to verse uh, 31. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon of Barak and of J- Samson of Jetha, David also, and Samuel of all the prophets, who faith, produ- uh, who faith through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lying, Lions quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead race to life again, and others were tortured, not accepted deliverance that they might attain a better resurrection. Others had trials of, of, of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. He wandered in deserts and in mountains and in ca- dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. <coughs> of course, that better thing is the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but they trusted God. And so the basis of the trust was you know, they believed that God was still alive. He was still on his throne. God's still in heaven. God's still on the throne. God still rules in the affairs of man. He hasn't been displaced. God's not dead. He sees my need. He knows my situation. He knows everything about me. But he does, he does try us at times. He will allow us to go through difficult times to see. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? You know, it may be difficult times where only God can get us out. And it appeared at times that only God, in fact, only God saved David a few times. Think of it. David's in the caves and Saul's hunting him and he's on one side of the mountain and David's on the other side of the mountain. His, his men are, uh, Saul's men are surrounding David and all of a sudden a messenger comes to Saul and said, hey, ah, hey, hey, the Philistines have invaded the land. Who do you think sent the Philistines? God did. God did. Furthermore, David says, not only is God still alive, God sees, but God does try me, but he also says, and God hates violence and the wicked. Notice Psalm 11. So you might say this hey, God's on my side, He's against them. God hates violence and the wicked. Notice verse 5. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Now, some people say, well, God doesn't hate anything. Oh, yes, he does. There's a lot of things God hates. God doesn't discriminate on the basis of gender, or race, anything like that, but he is not Tolerant of evil. He does discriminate on the basis of conduct. Really, that's everybody discriminates. Some of the most discriminating people are those that say they don't discriminate. Um, we all make choices. You know, we will allow that, and we won't allow that in our life. We're discriminating. It's judgment, all it is. But the Bible says here that the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. God hates violence. (coughs) Excuse me. You this this diabolical act of Saul in trying to kill David, God hated. David was an innocent man. David fought the battles of the Lord. David put his own life in the line. To kill Goliath, the one who defied the God of Israel and the armies of the God of Israel. And David put his own life in line and defeated him. And because of that and the jealousy that followed, Saul's trying to kill him. God hates that. I'm going to look up a couple of verses here. Go to Ezekiel chapter 12. Ezekiel chapter 12. Ezekiel 12, uh, verse 19. And say unto the people of the land, Thus saith the Lord God of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and of the land of Israel. They shall eat their bread with carefulness and drink their water with astonishment, that our land may be desolate from all that is therein, because of the violence of all them that dwell therein. And the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste, and the land shall be desolate, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. You know, they lived in the children of Israel up until the captivity, lived in great prosperity. I mean, it talks about some of the kings having beds of ivory. How many of you have beds of ivory? Do you know anybody in our country has a bed of ivory? They were very prosperous people. Very affluent. Wealthy. And they lived in luxury. All they could want. But now I said, You're going to eat with carefulness. You're not going to waste anything because you're not going to have all that plenty you had. And the reason you're not is because of the violence. They had become a violent people. I mean, we talk about abortion. We say uh, how abhorrent it all is. But they were basically doing the same thing. Building these shrines and altars to Moloch, and, and then offering babies on a altar heated red hot, killing the innocent. By the way, abortion—you could, could say that goes all the way back to Egypt. You know, if those Hebrew women have men shall just kill them. Well. Yeah. A whole lot different. They become a people in in the mind of God of violence. They had killed the prophets. Manasseh shed innocent blood abundantly. The Bible tells us, and a lot of these babies. You know what they likely came from? Because you know what also went along with all this, prostitution. Well, we're talking some pretty graphic picture here in Israel, of some wicked vile stuff. God said, "I hate it. I hate it." By the way, that's one of the reasons He destroyed the free flood world; it was filled with violence. But go to Isaiah thirty-three. Isaiah thirty-three. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, we we live in a world. You know, our our movies, our games. The I'm dating myself. The video games. Uh, you know, the games they're filled with violence, and they wonder why people want to kill each other. You know, they they they. You know, Hollywood promotes. The, you know, the more violent and graphic the movie is, usually the 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 better that it sells. And yet they're against guns, which, you know, with the increase of gun sales, I don't know if you realize that the homicide rate is down thanks to Obama (laughs) Uh, because everybody bought guns because criminals are a little fearful, more fearful now than they ever were before because a lot more people have guns. But, you know, our world is filled with violence. You know, remember old preacher saying, I wonder how long it'll be that they'll be throwing, a, doing like the gladiator, t- times of the gladiators, when they'll be throwing Christians again to, the, to be slaughtered like they did in the Romans. But anyway, Isaiah 33, verse 15. Um, he that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from fe- seeing evil. He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the remission- munitions of the rocks. Bread shall be given him. His waters shall be sure. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. You know, hear he's talking about the righteous. You know, David said in Psalm, Psalm 11 that, that you know him that loveth violence and and uh the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth and but he said but for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness and here he's saying you know he that walketh righteously speaketh uprightly despiseth gain of oppressions you know doesn't take bribes or oppress the poor <coughs> excuse me and that's what another thing they were doing during the prior to the captivity, they were making slaves out of the poor of the population, you know, enslaving them, and they weren't letting them go in the year of Jubilee, and Jeremiah prophesied against that, and so they let them, some of them let them go for a little while, and they turned around and took them back. Because they were making money off of it. It was a manipulation of the poor, and that's what's going on in our society. Anyway, it says, he shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the remunerations of the rock. Bread shall be given him. His waters shall be sure. Now these promises are from God. Notice verse 17. Thine eyes shall see the, ki- the king in his beauty. Is talking about the Lord. And they shall behold the land that is very far off. You see, God will keep His promises to His people; those that walk uprightly and loveth righteousness. But He hates violence and He hates the wicked. And of course, there's a reference here, you might say to the to hell also. Verse six says, "Upon the wicked He shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest." This shall be the portion of their cup. This is what they're going to get. And, of course, Revelation 21, eight says, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's their cup. That's what they're going to receive of the Lord. And, again, it all goes back to a choice. David said, In the Lord put I my trust see the wicked say not the Lord I want what I want that's what Saul said I'm not going to obey the Lord my kingdom's threatened my kingdom he forgot that it was God that gave him the kingdom therefore it's God that can take the kingdom it's God that gives us Life. Therefore, God should be able to do with our life what He pleases. And whatever trial or test may come our way, we should trust Him. You know, David understood that there were, he would face difficulties in life. He understood that in those times of difficulties, that God could still be depended upon. After all, he kept the sheep, and a lion came, and he slew the lion. And a bear came, and he slew the bear. How many people you know killed bears and lions with bare hands? Or a slingshot? You know, it'd be one, I thought about that today. It would be one thing to kill a man with a slingshot but a lion's a lot quicker than a man. They move a lot faster. It would be a lot harder to hit. In our slingshot, you know, they go like this. David, I think, slung his. But, but nevertheless, see, David believed that God gave him the means to keep the commands that he laid on his life. And that he could trust him. That he could depend upon him. Even though the circumstances. Were difficult. God hadn't forgotten. God was still on his throne. And God knew his need. And would. Uphold. The righteous. Because the Lord loves the righteous. And he doth uphold Behold the upright. Might God help us to trust in the Lord. To put our trust. Daily in the Lord and depend upon Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the simplicity. Thank you for the encouragement that we find and challenge to daily trust in Thee, to rest in Your promises, uh, even in the trials and circumstances of life. Help us to realize that sometimes You allow those things to try us and test us. Help us just to be faithful. And we'll thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name.